Well, good morning. My name is Adam. I'm one of the elders, pastors here at Huntington Community Church. Glad you were here. Uh, if you brought a Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapter 5 this morning. If, you're, uh, if you haven't been here for a while or if you're a guest this morning, we're going through Genesis 1 through 11 this summer. And so last week, Dustin taught and did an incredible job. He's actually on vacation, so he's not with us this week, he and Courtney. And I know there are many traveling this week and at camps. And, um, and so Dustin taught on Genesis 4, and, and this was really the, where you see sin taking place, where Cain killed Abel. And um, moving in, it, it ends with this idea of Seth and uh, how Seth was this, um, is he like this, this um, answer to Genesis 3.15, Genesis 3.15 is that key verse for us. It's that verse where that there's going to be this offspring given to this lady that's going to crush the head of Satan. That he's going to come one day, this, this baby boy, the pronoun is used he, he will come and crush the head of the serpent. So you get to Seth and it's like, is Seth the guy? Is he the one? And you'll see in chapter 5, it's just full of like, anticipation. Chapter 5 is 1,500 years just from chapter 5. We're going to cover 1,500 years this morning of, of history. And, it's, and you're just going to see a bunch of names. And it creates like this anticipation or this expectation like, is this, is this the offspring? Is this the one that's going to crush the head? And um, it's, there's just like this anticipation of of things, and we, we've all had to wait for something, right? If, if you just like, you just like have a hard time waiting for things, yeah, like everybody, like our hands go up, right? Like, we just don't like to wait, we're so impatient. And if you, the worst is like when you're waiting for something and then it like never happens. Uh, I remember um, playing basketball um, in the fifth grade for Platt, Pratt Trojans, Pratt is where it's at, by the way. Um, <laughs> And so I played basketball for the Pratt Trojans. Look at this picture, all right? So that's me, bottom left, uh, second from the left, sitting there, all right? That's me. Um, my, somebody should have called CPS on my parents. I have, you can't really tell, um, but I've got like this flat top with a mullet, all right? And like my parents sent me to school like that. Like, who does that to their kids? Um, and so that's me right there, Pratt Trojans. We were the defending champions. My fourth grade year, we were undefeated. And there was a guy named Chris Barker who was just the man. He was like, so at this time, elementary school was K through 6. And then you had junior high, 7 through 9, high school, 10 through 12. And so Chris was the sixth grader who had armpit hair, who just dominated everybody. And, uh, and so we were undefeated. We just gave the ball to Chris, got out of the way. And this is my fifth grade year. So Chris just left. We were the defending champions. And I knew that I had to fill Chris's role. I had to be the man. That's right, the little guy there on the front row. And I knew the only thing keeping me from being Chris Barker was uh, a pair of black and white Air Jordans. Um, they were red and black and white Air Jordans, and it wasn't that I couldn't dribble with my right hand or shoot um, or had any size whatsoever. It was that I needed those shoes. And I remember telling my mom, like, Mom, like, 
I would really love, and plus we're wearing black and red jerseys. It made sense. This is 1987. Everything matched. Like you wore a red, red sweatshirt, red sweatpants, red shoes, red hat. That's just how it was in the 80s. And so I knew what would set me apart if I had those black and red Air Jordans. And so um, I remember, Mom, man, please, please, I'd love to have these shoes. And I remember begging and begging. Finally, one day, um, Mom comes in. She's been out shopping. I'm outside playing. I come in, and Mom said, hey, I got you something. I'm like, that's wonderful. And, and so uh, uh, she said, I got you those shoes you've been wanting. I'm like, no way. I've never had a pair of Jordans. And like, this is 1987. These are like almost the first pair of Jordans. And these were like, like everybody that was anybody had Jordans in elementary school. So I was like, I'm going to be Chris Barker. I mean, to me, Michael Jordan wore, he had a pair of Chris Barkers. That's what I thought. And so I thought, man, like this is going to be awesome. And so she said, I got you those shoes you've been wanting. I'm like, man, my mom loves me. And she wants me to be the man. And I go over to the box and I open it up, and there they are, black and red, Jordashes, all right? You know, Jordashes, not Jordans, all right? My mom got me the generic brand of the Jordans, all right? Uh, she picked them up at Hills, all right? You remember Hills? You don't even remember Hills, do you? Everybody's 40 and older remembers Hills. Uh, and so she got me the Jordashes, and I'm like, Mom, like, I'm going to be sitting the bench all year again, and that's... That's where, see how I'm sitting right there? That's what I did, fifth grade, I sit, and because and, it's the shoes. And if you look closely, you'll see the Jordashes that I'm wearing right there in that picture. And so I waited and waited and just, just crushed. And, and so that's what Genesis 5 wants us. It, it's like building it up, like here it is, here it is, this is what you've been waiting for. And then, no, it's not. It leaves you wanting something else. And I'm telling you, this passage is beautiful because it's going to show us this clear picture of Jesus Christ and how oftentimes we want these things we want. And, I, and you know, as a fifth grader, I thought if I had the Jordans, I would be satisfied. And if my mom would have got me the Jordans, I, I wouldn't have been satisfied because they wouldn't have, all the things I was looking for, affirmation from, from sports and, and others, and it, it wouldn't have been there. I would have been left empty. Only Jesus can fulfill that whole and so that's what you're going to see in Genesis 5. So if you brought your Bible with me, um, let's start in verse 1. If, if you didn't bring a Bible this morning, the words are on the screen. Verse 1, it says, This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them and named them man when they were created. So here is... It's taking us back to Genesis 1. It's reminding us, like, even though there's sin in the world now, you know, there's been murder, a brother murdered his brother, um, that even though there's sin in the world, we're still created in his likeness. This is a good reminder for us. So I want to start the same way this starts. I don't know what you've done in your life. I don't know what sin you have, what mistakes you've made. You were created in the likeness of God, that you were made in his image. You have value. God has a plan for your life. He created you. Notice that it says, God created man. 
He designed man. You belong to him. And so you have a purpose this morning. And it's to honor the one who created you, who gave you purpose. It's to make much of him, to love God and love others. It's not to make much of ourselves, which is what many people, including myself, struggle with. I want to make much of me, and we're called to make much of God. So this is a reminder for us that God created us with value and purpose. It doesn't matter our skin color or our height or our athletic ability or what shoes we wear. They're Jordans or Jordashes. You have value in God's eyes. That's good news for us this morning. Verse 3, you're going you're to begin to see a pattern develop here. And here's the pattern. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all of the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. When we see this, you're going to see this pattern how God created man, but here the pattern is that man is going to father a son. So you're going to see this pattern. Adam fathered the son. And notice this is not his first son. We already know that he had Cain and Abel. Abel is now deceased. Cain is now, he has a mark on him. He's kind of um, being punished, set aside. And the story is going to pick up with Seth. So you're going to see this contrast this morning between two families. Family of Cain in chapter 4 with the um, family of Seth in chapter 5. And so this pattern here that, that now this, this image is being passed on. It says that he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. And so that's so important. And, and even the idea that Seth's name means like this appointed one. And... You can't help but notice, like, the, the years here, right? Like, he's, he's 130 when he has Seth. That should, like, re, like, least red flag. You catch that? Like, what in the world's going on? Is, this, is it a literal 130 years, or is there some play on numbers here? And I'm telling you, if you read five commentaries, you'll have seven opinions on what this looks like. Um, I think, and, and so there's, there's some that would argue that, that the years here are, are different years. Like, they're not 365 days like we would have. They're, they're um, much shorter. The problem is when you get to Genesis five, or 6 and 7, and when you get to the Noah narrative, and it seems like their days and years are similar to ours um, by going off of uh, Noah with the flood and the ark and all that, so it seems like that can't be a proper um, hermeneutic for this, um, for the large number of them having children. You have to understand that before, before the flood, the world was just different. And, and so every commentary that I read at least mentioned that before the flood, like, we have no idea how... If, 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 if it ever rained, and if it never rained, some believe that there's this um, vapor, this barrier around the earth, and, and so that 
changed the way the sun um, you know, worked in our life, may it slowed us down the process. We have no idea, just to be honest. We weren't there, and so we can just speculate. Um, but for me, I, I, I think these are literal days, years. Um, I, I don't see any reason why to take them any other way at this point. Uh, and so he was 130 when he had Seth, and then the days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years where he had other sons and daughters, so they were being faithful to that first command of being fruitful and multiplied, so they're filling the earth with other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days that Adam lived were 930 years. 930 years. That's a long time to walk this earth. Um, you talk about experience, just wisdom. Adam would have had that, just walking, 930 years. Um, now, there's a lot of questions that I have about this that I don't have answers to. Um, and it's one of those where when I get to heaven, I'll ask God, but probably when I get to heaven, I'm not going to care about this. It's going to be so awesome. I'm going to be with Jesus. I'm like, Jesus, I had something to ask you, but I, didn't, I don't even remember. Um, and so that's going to be one of those. But here's the pattern you see. Uh, and, you, and it's like, okay, so Seth, the pointed one, he's going to be the one that's going to crush the head. It wasn't Cain, uh, definitely wasn't Abel, it's, it's going to be Seth. Well, let's keep reading. Verse 6, when Seth had lived 105, he fathered Enosh. Uh, Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years and had other sons and daughters Thus, all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. It's not Seth. He's not the one that we're looking for. But Seth gave us Enosh, so maybe it's Enosh. Verse 9, when Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan. Enosh lived after he fathered Kenan 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. You see the pattern? Verse 12, when Kenan had lived 70 years. So, you know, he was started out life early. You're like, what are you doing having kids so early? It's 70. Your parents waited till they were at least 100. What are you doing? You have no clue how to raise those kids. You're outside your mind, boy. Kenan lived after he fathered Mahalalel 840 years. And he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Kenan were 910 years. And he died. Verse 15. When Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. Mahalalel lived after he fathered Jared 830 years. And had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years. And he died. When Jared had lived 162 years... He fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years and other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Jared were 962 years and he died. If you remember back in Genesis 3, one of the curses of sin, you know, if you eat of this tree, you shall surely die. And we're seeing that come to fruition now, uh, that we see the curse of sin impacting this family. 
that these people are dying. They live, they live a long time. God is still blessing them with long life. It's not eternal life, though. They die. It's not how it was meant to be back in the garden. Something was wrong. Sin had entered the world. And here you see this pattern. So-and-so had this child, this child, had this child, but they all died. Now, sometimes when you read these, um, especially in today's culture, you, you'll get some pushback saying, oh, like that God of the Old Testament, he's a misogynist. He doesn't like women. Well, you know, where are the women here? Why doesn't he list? They're just had other sons and daughters, but why, don't, why aren't any of them mentioned by name? That's a good question. But if you understand what the Bible is trying to do, it's not that God's a misogynist. God doesn't hate women. He, he, he loves women. He's, they're created in whose image? His. Why would God hate himself? God can't hate himself. And so a better understanding of this is, is that there's a purpose here. There's a goal that the Bible is trying to do. It's going back to Genesis 3. Genesis 3.15 says that he will come and crush the head of the serpent. And so the, the rest of the Old Testament, you could argue, is a, an outline of the he. That we're trying to figure out who this boy, baby boy is. Who is the he? So this is why it's naming men here. Because there's going to be this boy that's going to come and going to redeem the world. It's going to save mankind. It's not that God hates women. That's ridiculous. So that's why when you're reading the Old Testament and there's not a lot of mention of women in the Old Testament, it's because we're trying to figure out who this guy is that's going to come and save all the mess we've done. And so that's what's going on here. And here you just see that even like guys like Seth and Enosh and Kenan, it's not like God's making much of them here. We don't even know who they are. They're just a name, right? There's not even narrative about them. We don't know what they liked to eat, what they didn't like to eat, what they enjoyed about the earth. Were they kind? We don't know anything. They're just a name. And so we have a man here who lives, you know, 900 years, and that's all we know. That's it. And you just see this, this legacy of lineage um, that it just appeared to be their their, um, just their children. Like, what Seth is known for is that he had this son um, that Seth fathered Enosh. That's what Seth is known for. What is Enosh known for? That he fathered Kenan. And I think this is a good point for a lot of us that, that we might not make the most impact in this world. That our impact might be more on our children and who, what, they, what God does with our children. And so sometimes we think like, man, like, I know even my wife, she'll say like, all I do is, I, I just, I feed all these kids. We have six kids, if you're a guest this morning. Um, we have six kids, so like, think about just the house there, like, just getting up and all, like, as soon as she hit, her feet hit the floor, it's like, well, what do we have for breakfast? What do we have for breakfast? What can I eat? And so she's feeding, and then she's washing dishes from what they just ate, and then by that time, it's lunch, and so they're like, well, can we have lunch? Can we have lunch? So she's making lunch, and then it's dishes again, and then 
I come home from work, and then she's feeding me too, and then we're doing dishes again, and then by that time, it's bedtime, so now you're bathing the kids, putting them in the bed, and then you're like, what do we do today? I'll tell you what you do that day is you, you impacted the next generation, that you pray for those little ones, that you love on them, you teach them what it means to walk with Jesus, that you pray for them and love on them. For some of us, that might be the greatest thing we ever do for this kingdom, is to invest in our children. And that doesn't just have to be the kids that God has given you uh, through birth. It could be things like big brother, big sister we've talked about. I know some of you have already found your big brother, big sister. That's awesome. I'm so excited you guys are stepping up for that. We have applications for big brother, big sister. You can be a part of that. That, that Listen to this. There's a, there's a, a company that will find somebody that you get to disciple and impact and invest in. They do all the work for you. All you have to do is be willing. And so now you, you have this opportunity to invest in this, this young man, young woman. Show them what it means to walk with Christ. That's so easy for us. That might be the greatest thing. And I think about my life. I'm like, I don't really know if I'm accomplishing much with my life. I want to just do so many things. And I just go, I wonder if it's just Xavier and Cares and Isaiah and Eliana and Alethea and Judah. Is that going to be my gift to this world is investing in my children, pointing them to Jesus. Maybe they're going to do something great. I don't know. Um. Friday night, uh, we had our newest member to our congregation. Uh, Thad and Gabby had their baby. Make sure I get the name right. Alora, is that right? I see some nods. Okay, nods of affirmation are good. Baby Alora, this may be Thad and Gabby's greatest impact into this, uh, to the kingdom of God is how they raise her. Uh, and so right now, she's, she's real sweet and precious right now, right? But she is tainted with sin, just like everyone is. And so they've got to point her to Christ. And I look forward to the day we get to baptize her and uh, just watch her make her, her parents' faith her own. But that might be the greatest thing we can do. How many of you know Mordecai Ham? You just see hands. I just... Hands, Mordecai Ham, maybe you're familiar with Mordecai Ham. I see zero hands, okay. How many of you know the name Billy Graham? Can I just see hands? If you ever heard of Billy Graham? Keep hands up, I just want to make sure. Most of you have heard of Billy Graham. Billy Graham arguably has made mo more impact um, in, in Christian circles, maybe since like guys like John Calvin, Martin Luther, Apostle Paul, like Billy Graham is the man. He's just recently passed away. Mordecai Ham was the evangelist that came and spoke to Billy Graham and led him to Christ. See, none of you, none of you knew Mordecai Ham, but most of you knew Billy Graham. I think God uses more Mordecai Hams. We need more of those. You have no idea... If that big brother or big sister, or I guess little brother, little sister that you're impacting might be the next Billy Graham. 
or the child that you're raising, that you're going, I don't know what to do with this kid. That might be the next Mordecai Ham, or it might be the next Billy Graham. And so that might be your legacy, and that is a great thing. We don't all have to be, let me go back to my opening illustration, Chris Barker's, Michael Jordan's. We need role players in the church. People who will be behind the scenes doing things. God uses us all for his purposes. And so here you just see a bunch of names that we don't know much about. But their impact may have been just in having their children, raising them. And so we keep following this pattern in verse 21. You see a little shift here. We take a moment, we highlight a guy. Verse 21, when Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Now that might be a familiar name to you guys. Enoch walked with God. So you see, this is language we haven't seen yet. We're breaking the pattern here. It's getting your attention. Something's different about Enoch. He walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Now, that is a strange way to phrase this. In verse 24, that Enoch walked with God. We see that repeated. Then he was not. And God took him. Just means like he was just gone. He was not found. He vanished. And so Enoch historically has been known as the guy that never died. So here all these people die, death, death, death. Enoch never died. God just took Enoch. There's only two people in the Bible that never die that we at least see recorded. Enoch and Elijah. Elijah's the one, the prophet, who was taken up by chariots of fire. So here Enoch is not found. And again, I just want more. The Bible, the Bible is completely sufficient. Everything that we will ever need to know uh, to become a Christian, live as a Christian, grow as a Christian is found in the Bible. But man, I want more detail here. Like Enoch is just gone, like... What about his wife? What about Mrs. Enoch? Methuselah, have you seen your dad? Where'd he go? I don't know. He was walking with God. And he never came back. He's just gone. You know, I don't know if he left a note. We don't know anything. He just vanished. And so I just, I, that's another question. Put it on the list. You know, it's a good question. Did, at this point, was it the T-Rex that got him? I don't know if that was common. Was a you know a velociraptor? I don't know. But it's on my list to ask God. But God just took him. He walked with God. He had a this this family. This is going back to Seth's family that they began to call upon the name of the Lord. Cain's family did not. They made much of themselves. They were a faithless family. Here we see a faithful family, and we see Enoch walking with God, God finding favor in Enoch, and just taking him away from death. 
But we know that Enoch at least passed on sin because we know that Methuselah dies. It takes a long time. But in verse 25, when Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. Methuselah lived, after he fathered Lamech, 782 years. If you do the math, he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Methuselah were 969 years. He died. Dude almost lived to be a thousand. This is the oldest guy recorded in Scripture, Methuselah. So if, that's where you might have heard that name. So people say, he's the oldest Methuselah. Uh, and that's because Methuselah is the oldest guy that we at least have recorded in Scripture. 969 years old. Verse 28, when Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah. Now, you, you might know the name Noah, saying, out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief or bring us rest from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Um, Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Lamech were 777 years and he died. And Noah was 500 years old. Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So we begin to see that's at least different, that pattern, that we have three sons here that they're bringing attention to. And then if you would just look at chapter 6, those genealogies stop, and we just kind of hit play, and we have the life of Noah. So it's almost like this, like, this, you know, Seth had this kid, and this kid had this kid, and they're just all dying. And you get to Noah, and then, and then there's just this story. And so it's almost like, finally, Noah is the guy. I mean, what does his name mean? His name means this is the one who's going to bring us relief or rest from the work of our hands, the painful toil of our hands. What was the curse on Adam, that you're going to have to work the fields. And so here he is. It's Noah. Noah's the man you've been waiting for. He's got to be the one from Genesis 3.15. No, it's not Noah. And so Noah's important, as we'll see next week. We'll, we'll get into the Noah narrative where he begins to build the ark. It's just an incredible story of God's provision for this family. He's preserving this family. That God is so faithful. He made a promise to Eve. Your, your offspring is going to crush this serpent. And God's going to do everything in his power to sustain and keep that family. But Noah's not the answer. Noah doesn't bring the relief that his name uh, suggests points us to the one who does, um, that ultimately the series leads us to and points us to when we get to Matthew, that all these names, all you know, this lineage of this offspring is pointing us to another baby that's going to be born one day. And that baby's name is Jesus, and Jesus was going to live this perfect life. He's never going to sin, and he's, notice here that 
Seth fathered, you know, this, this man fathered this son, this man fathered this son. Notice when we get to Jesus, he didn't have an earthly father. So that sin is not coming into his life. So he's born perfect. And he remains perfect because he never sinned, not even once. And so he's the one. He's the fulfillment. He is the Noah. Noah was the one that was supposed to bring rest. And so Jesus is the perfect Noah. And all the work that we try to do to make our lives better, whether it's like me, whether it was sports. I mean, look at me. Come on, look at me. You think sports is ever going to bring me satisfaction? I mean, I love to play, and I'm thankful I get to coach now. But I wasn't the greatest athlete. I know I'm glad you're sitting down. So I don't know if that's you. If you think sports is going to satisfy you, it's not. It's not a guy. It's not a girl. No relationship is going to satisfy you. It's not a job or amount of money or stuff or friendships or those Jordans. It's not. Jesus. It's not being... Good enough, if I'm good enough, then I'll have rest. God will, I will walk with God then. God's just telling you to give up, to quit trying to work with your hands and embrace Jesus. Matthew 11, great promise to us. Jesus says to his disciples, Jesus says, come to me. Stop running to everything else. Why do we run, man, like we run to everything else. We run the Facebook, Instagram. I mentioned last week, I run through the drive-thru thinking I'm going to find rest. Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. See, God created you. I have no doubt. Every one of you in this room, God knows you by name. The Bible tells us he knows the number of hairs on our head. It's getting easier for me. The Lord, it's just, I mean, my hair is leaving. But like Zach, man, Zach's got gray hair. <laughs> but the Lord knows the number of hairs even on Zach Simpson's head. He knows you. He created you. You have a purpose. And your purpose is only going to be found in Him and you're going to be satisfied only in Him. And so today is the, just a reminder to lay aside all the earthly things and chase after Him. Give it all up. Chase after Jesus. He is the treasure. This morning in this room and on the earth in Genesis 5, you're going to see the same thing going on. In Genesis 5, 4 and 5, you see this contrast between two families. You've got a faithful family who's calling out on the name of the Lord. And then you've got another family that's faithless, that's calling out, uh, making much of their own name. 
not in the name of the Lord. Two families sharing the earth together. It's the same is true in this room. I'm sure in this room there's two families. There's the family of God, the sons and daughters of God. And then what scripture would say is the family of Satan, the sons of Satan in this room. There's just two types of people in this world. It's not Americans and the rest. It's not male and female. It's not black and white. It's lost and saved. The people of God and the people of the world. That's it. Two categories of people. Where do you fall in this morning? So this morning we have a great opportunity to celebrate who you are. The Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper or communion. And even if you think about that night when Jesus is setting up the Lord's Supper as this institution for us. I mean, this, this is so cool to think about. What we're getting ready to do is a representation of what Jesus established almost 2,000 years ago. So for almost 2,000 years, Christians have been doing something similar to this, what you're going to do this morning. And in that room that night before Jesus was arrested, in that room, you saw those two types of people. You saw sons of God and sons of Satan, or I should say son of Satan, in that room. That you had 11 disciples who loved Jesus. Jesus, we will lay down our lives for you, and all of them but one do. Then you've got another one, Judas, who is not a son of God. That he, Scripture says, followed his father, Satan. So he's there in that same room while Jesus is instituting this, saying, do this in remembrance of me. So I know this morning, some of you, just like that same night 2,000 years ago, and so I invite the sons and daughters of God to come. So if, if, if you are a follower of Christ, you know that you have given your life to Jesus, and that's your life, you're, he's everything to you, then this is a great moment for you just to get refocused, come, and you just take a piece of the bread and dip it in the cup, and be reminded, Jesus says, this bread is a reminder for you that my body was broken. So there are going to be broken pieces of bread for you. You grab a broken piece and you dip it to the cup. And that cup is a reminder of the blood that was poured out for the forgiveness of your sin. That you sent Jesus to the cross that day. That your sin nailed him to the tree. And that he said, Lord, this is the place I want to be. I want to die for that enemy. For that Judas and that Judas and that Judas and this Judas. Jesus died for me to take on my sin. That we were all enemies when Christ died for us. And so, if you are a son, daughter of the Most High God, you come and take of the Lord's Supper. If you are not a son of God, and what I mean is if you wouldn't say you're a Christian, you, you, you kind of live your own life, you do your own thing, then we ask that you don't come and take. Uh, the Bible is, gives you a warning. If you're not a Christian, don't take of this. Bad things could happen to you. 
And so we're asking you just sit and think about why you aren't a Christian. Why have you never come to Jesus and laid all your burdens on him? And so you just kind of just hang out and just sit and reflect on that this morning. So let me pray for us. You come to either station. They're both the same. Father, we come to you this morning so thankful for your faithfulness. That your timing is just, it's so different than ours. That we, we see a passage here, Lord, 1,500 years go by. People are waiting for you to show up with this baby. And you don't. Hundreds of more years will transpire, Lord. Where they're still waiting on this promised child. But oh, you were so faithful that in the fullness of time, you brought forth your son, born of a virgin, so that men might be saved. So we celebrate the name of Jesus this morning. So Lord, we come to the table this morning in remembrance of what you, Lord Jesus, did for us. That we... It's a reminder that we can't work and be good enough. That only a perfect sacrifice would work. So we thank you, Lord Jesus, for laying down your life for us. So we come to the table just excited and thankful for what you've done for us. May we truly remember you this morning. And Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit is already working in the sons and daughters of Satan. That those who have never bowed their knee to you, I pray that you're already convicting them of their sin. That they would know that today is the day of salvation. That they can confess their sin today and be made new. They can be a new creation today. Have a new family adopted in. So Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here this morning that doesn't know which family they belong to or wants to be a part of the family of God, that they would talk to whoever invited them or talk to me. Lord, I pray that you would penetrate their hearts. There's nothing I can say that's going to change their soul. It's only you, Lord. That's the role of your Holy Spirit. So may we just celebrate this morning the work of Christ. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.